Welcome to Pod 2112, the official podcast of the 2112 Group, where we talk with industry thought leaders, business executives, and influencers who are shaping the technology market and the world around us. I'm Larry Walsh. A funny thing happened on the way to the cloud, the way we do business changed. We've been hearing for years about the benefits of the recurring revenue model often associated with go-to-market models such as cloud and managed services. It's not just about revenue, it's also about changing the way technology vendors sell, including through partners. The recurring revenue model requires two things for success, continuous acquisition of new customers and the retention of existing customers. By capturing new customers, vendors and partners grow their book of business that increases recurring revenue flow. By retaining customers, you ensure the base of revenue remains stable and predictable. You could say it's hunting and farming in the same motion. And that's what partners need help with. They need support in business development and sales maturation. Where vendors fall short is in in transitioning their channel account managers. In services, partners need channel account managers that do more than call them up looking for the next product sale. They need business development managers who engage and support them in a number of activities that ultimately lead to recurring revenue. Getting channel account managers to become business development managers isn't as simple as changing a job description. Vendors need to provide direction and skills training, and they need to change compensation plans to redirect CAMs from being focused exclusively on quota retirement. Joining me is someone who spends a lot of time thinking about cloud channel account manager maturation, Carlos Blanco, the Senior Director of Worldwide Channel Service Partners at Citrix. Carlos works with channel account managers around the world to help them engage better in the services models. And he also has one of the more interesting backstories, which we'll get into later. So with that, welcome to Pod 2112, Carlos. Hey, Larry. How are you? Great to be here. Appreciate it. Oh, great having you. So let's, let's, let's jump into this because you and I have had several conversations about this. And this is, it seems like it's an ongoing conversation in the, in the industry about transforming channels, transforming relationships, transforming technologies. Is it time that we start thinking about transforming the role of a channel account manager? Uh, yes, absolutely. I mean, uh, you and I go back in this business way back, and um, this is one of those issues that's been going on, I think, f- since I started in this business about 30 years ago, which is how can we get our channel account managers, partner account managers, whatever you want to call them, how could we get them to be better business partners to our partners? And I think to this day, this is an issue that continues and it continues to go unsolved. So why is that, though? What, why, why do you mean by making them business development managers or better business partners to, to resellers, service providers, what, what have you? Dealing with a partner is, is really not about being a salesperson. Listen, we all sell at the end of the day. We sell in personal relationships. We sell to our children. And obviously, we're, we're selling to our partners. But to have a, a business relationship with a partner is really about a long-term view. And how do I show some value to a business person who's trying to figure out, you know, how am I going to, how am I going to move forward with this business? How am I going to grow? And so it's not about, you know, what can you use for me this quarter, but it's really about how can we set a plan in place so that you can be successful and ultimately I'm successful. 
The challenge in this business is that in, in most organizations, uh, this, the channel account managers, for the most part, come from the sales organ, the traditional sales organization or inside sales, where they may traditionally have dealt with an end user customer, and it's really about progressing the sale. Where with a business partner, it really requires a much longer term view, in my opinion. But yet, most channel account managers are on a quarter to quarter uh, quota basis, which makes it very difficult to plan something out when at the end of the quarter, you got to hit up your partner for a sale in order to hit your number. And it used to be when we said trusted advisors that the account manager, the channel account manager would come into the partner and say, no, look, you want to lead with this product because this product is going to be good for your customer and you'll be able to make money with it. And that was the trusted relationship. When we talk about these these transformative business models, it seems to be that we need that trust back between the account manager and the partner because these partners are not just trying to figure out how to be profitable. They're trying to figure out how to be relevant. And many of them are woefully inept at that. What, what do you think about that? Well, one of the things that I always tell our guys and everywhere I've been is we, we as vendors, right? We live in a, in a great world where we get paid on, on gross revenue, not in, not net income. And in most cases, I don't know any many uh, channel reps or partner account managers have ever lived in a world where they get paid on net income. But we live in this great world where we have access to all this research. We go to IDC meetings, we go to Gardner Vision events, and we, we, we kind of are given a vision of where this business is going externally and internally by our own marketing department, our own resources. And I think one of the biggest things that we can do to help partners is help them to make sense of what is going on. As you, uh, as a business partner where you're caught in the day-to-day, you got to make payroll, you know, you got to keep, uh, keep the customers happy, you, the bank loan is due, you got all these things to deal with. And it's very difficult to sit back and say, you know, I'm going to dedicate today to thinking and figure out where my business is going. So there's a huge, there's a huge opportunity for ca- partner account managers to actually be an invaluable, trusted resource if they take that route as opposed to the, uh, the one that is usually taken, which is, hey, can you give me the, the latest order this quarter? So do you think we should bifurcate this role? So should there be channel account managers that are just sales animals? And should there be specialists that are business development managers? There are vendors that do that, but it does seem a little cost intensive or a hit on the budget. But they are sometimes two different, you know, as you already described, that they are two different skills. I I mean, I don't know what the exact solution is. I, I think part of the Part of the challenges here, right, is how do you justify a salesperson existence without slapping a quota on them? Um, and it would take some real courage to say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to put my sale, my partner sales organization on a different type of compensation scheme, which is not only tied to quota. Now, I'm not saying sales is not part of the component, um, but if you want to call it at MBOs or strategic objectives, whatever the case may be, some other measures that indicate to you as a organization and give direction to your uh, your account managers that they're making progress on the relationship and the long-term value that they bring to this uh, partner. Uh, I've interviewed a lot of partners through my lifetime and, you know, kind of the usual consensus is, you know, I don't find a lot of value in my partner account manager. Um, the value that I find is escalating issues when I can't get through to the vendor. But for the most part, they're not bringing me that that extra thing that I need in order to help me build my business. The research that we have on this is exactly right, is that the account managers are great for escalating issues. If they can't get something done, they need pricing, they need support. And they're also good for communicating down new information coming out of the vendor. But in terms of 
that business development aspect we were talking about in terms of business planning, it just doesn't, you know, the, the partners tell us is that there's just too much turmoil, there's not enough focus, and they're at the whim of their vendors to keep them from actually executing against those plans. Do you think that the vendors need to make a commitment as much as the account managers to say this is the role of of a cam or partner account manager going forward that it is you know mbo based perhaps but maybe it is about the non-financial attributes that can lead to financial returns i mean definitely that's part of the equation the other one that i'm a huge component of is is mixing an inside sales component with a field-based component um there's a lot of things that keep let's say i'm a you know i'm a real eager partner account manager and I really want to do the right thing and I know I got a quota, but I'm still committed to the long term. You get dragged into so many things that are that are contrary to that objective, right? Escalating issues, uh, you know, dealing with tech support because they're not responding appropriately, et cetera, et cetera. I believe that a huge part of the solution is an inside sales organization, obviously a much junior organization or inside sales support, whatever you want to call it, that can actually handle a lot of those things. So that combined with freeing up a partner accounts manager's time to actually be a little bit more strategic, along with some relief on the compensation plan, whether it's, you know, 20% MBO, 30% MBO, whatever the case may be, but a component that says, hey, we, we, we think you bring a lot more value to, the, to our partners than just, uh, you know, asking for a sale. Um, we want you to focus on something a little bit longer term. We want you to build a relationship and help our partners be successful. So is compensation the thing that prevents the the account the account managers from becoming more attuned to the business development needs of their of their partners is there are there other inhibitors that that keeps them from be, from developing those soft skills or those non those non revenue skills that could actually foster better partnership relation partner relationships. Well, I mean, listen, I believe that compensation is a, is a huge component of it. After all, you know, we got to put food on our table and, and you know, that's probably <laughs> the number one reason why we work. We got to eat. Um, so there is no doubt that compensation drives behavior. And, and, and we've known that and we say that all the time. So that is a component of it. The other component is that, um, you know, unless you've been a business owner such as I have and such as you are, Larry, where you understand uh, the challenges on a day to day basis, how can you insert yourself into that stream and actually bring in any value? So let's say, you know, the average solution provider in the U.S. is, you know, $2 million. They're, you know, might be taking home net $200,000. And for that $200,000, there's a ton of liability out on the street. Um, how is How can you understand that reality, right, as a partner account manager and come in asking for a PO or an order when you can't live that? You know, you don't, you don't comprehend what that's like. Um, there's also the other aspect of it of understanding your role within that partner. So if, you know, if, if a partner's business is 90% Microsoft, well, you know, Microsoft probably has the right to demand things that a smaller vendor can't. So the other aspect of besides not understanding the business, not understanding the partner's motivation and the strategy to gain traction within your partner base when you are not the dominant vendor per se. But compensation still plays a huge part. Um, the other part of it is is really education, right? How do how do we 
translate that thinking of a business owner to a person who has never owned a business and it does not get paid on an net income basis. And that is a huge challenge in this business um, because once you've been on the, on the other side, call it the dark side or the light side, where you and I, where I've been and where you are, when you got to hustle every day to make a living, um, it's a very different world than when you come out and on, you're on the other side when you're just selling product. Besides compensation, what can or what should vendors do to enable their channel account managers to be better at business development? What is it that, what, you know, is there, is it a training program? Is it a change in incentives? Is it uh, a change in role? I think you hit the nail on the head, all three. First of all is, you know, thinking carefully about compensation and taking a hard, deep look and saying, you know, long term, where do I want my partners to be? And do I really believe that the, you know, this partner account manager's role is really to drive sales or to drive a relationship that will lead to sales? The second one is training. Um, we have to find some way, some mechanism for, you know, I, I don't believe a partner account manager needs to be a, a, an expert on reading a, a P&L or being an expert on, on knowing balance sheet. But at the end of the day, if you don't know how to run a business, uh, it's like being a consultant, right? How can you be consultive to your uh, your client if you don't understand the business that they're in. So the second aspect really is training and how do we get them to understand that every decision that a partner makes is not based on a technology, but it's really based on, you know, how do I make some more money? And ultimately, it's not even about how I make more money. It's how do I, how do I take more money home, which is the only thing that really matters at the end of the day. Is there a way that you know, the vendors should rethink the way that they are measuring the that level of the return on that level of investment because as you say ultimately we have to keep food on the table but we also live in an industry that lives and dies on metrics um and you know we have a hard time i you know like i've had this conversation three times in the past week how do we prove that this investment in a soft skill returns hard cash well, you know, I, I think the hard cash is is the the final delivery of the effort put in. So, I, you know, it's like I tell the folks that work for me, I, I don't really focus on revenue because I know if I do all the right things, the revenue will be the output. But there's many things that we need to do on a day-to-day -day basis. A good friend of mine used to say all the blocking and tackling, right? The uh, offensive linemen don't get a lot of credit when that touchdown gets scored. So if, if you do all the right things, the revenue will be the output. But I don't think we're measuring those things in industry that are important to a partner. Call it a survey or whatever you want to do, but how do we measure, how do we get that quantitative and qualitative feedback from a partner that on a quarterly basis or on a bi-yearly basis tells us, you know, my account managers are doing the right thing or they're not doing the right things. And then most importantly, how do we take that feedback and then do something actionable with it other than saying, uh, you know, that's just, uh, that can't be true. So let's just continue with what we're doing. And I don't think we measure that as an industry, right? We're so focused on on just the revenue aspect of it. Um, we started some um, partner consoles for the CSP business that I run at Citrix on, on partner feedback. And that partner feedback, we are circulating internally and we're making sure that we're acting upon it. And that is both... Um, quantitative and qualitative feedback on all aspects of our business. And that qualitative feedback is hugely important, but I don't think we do enough to uh, actually garnish that, that information. You know, one of the things that, that we, we've heard over the years is the salespeople we have today can't sell what we need them to sell tomorrow. So if they were selling boxes, 
yesterday, we're going to have a very hard time turning them into cloud salespeople or services salespeople tomorrow because of what they're comfortable with, the model, the compensation, et cetera. Do we have the same issue with channel account managers is that we're going to have to look to cultivate the millennials or uh, or new people coming into the industry to take on not just these roles, but also to do them differently? I remember when this whole cloud transformation started, it must have been five, six years ago, I was at a conference and I'm, I'm hearing all the vendors complaining about how the partners don't get it. And I look around the room and I look at all of us and I said, maybe we don't get it either, right? Because <laughs> we're part of that whole generation. So to your point, yes, I believe that there is a lot to be said for, um, I don't know if it's millennials, but taking in people who understand the disruptive nature of what's going on here and being able to help those partners that are willing to make that transition. And, and that's the other thing that, that a lot of partner account managers don't understand. They don't understand the partner's motivation and what what drives them. Is, is it a partner that wants to grow? Is it a partner that is really looking to transform? Or is it a partner that's really basically sunsetted, wants to get out of this business because he or she is really tired of the changes? So there is an element of not having the, the right, let's call them born in, in the cloud partner account managers who actually get this business and understand how to find those partners that also get the business and help them grow in, 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 a, in a different world than it used to be, you know, five, seven, 10 years ago. Right. Well, you know, look, it is a different world. And I like to close on an off-topic subject here because w one of my favorite stories is the, the story behind the name of your consulting firm back when you were still, before you joined Citrix, called Pigs in a Roof. Can you give us the snapshot version of where Pigs in the Roof came from? Nice. That's That's been the best branding I've ever done in my whole life. So thank you for bringing it up. Um, I'm Cuban by birth. I was, I was, I left Cuba when I was uh, five years old in 1967 and I had never been back. So I went back in 2010 and uh, I'm sitting at my cousin's house getting ready for dinner and they invited me to go to the roof to look at the pig. I'm like, what the heck is this all about? So climb up the stairs, go to the top. Uh, it's a flat roof and there's a pig, a 500 pound pig sitting there camouflaged and, you know, this whole get up, not the pig itself, but the surroundings. And next to it was another empty bay, which obviously held an equally giant pig. <clears throat> and um, they tell me that they just killed that pig last week. And that, that pig is providing today's meal. And the one that's next to it is, you know, like at 450 pounds, we still got to get it up to like a little bit more before we slaughter it. And so it, it turns out that in the wonderful communist state known as Cuba, uh, where everything is owned by the state, including um, all animals and everything else in between and property, um, if you have an animal, it really doesn't belong to you. So the Cuban people being in, in, ingenious as they've always been and survivors grow the pigs on their roofs. Um, they slaughter the pigs. They sell it in the black market um, as source of income. And also, obviously, they keep some of it for, um, for internal consumption. So as I'm sitting downstairs uh, analyzing the whole pig situation, looking up at the roof, hoping that that thing doesn't fall through the roof and kill us, my brother and I are sitting there. So my brother was the inaugural poet for the Obama administration. Um, he wrote that poem, One Today. And uh, we're both sitting there. He's about to publish his third or fourth book. And uh, my, my brother, Ricky, has this beautiful smile. And I could just tell that he was thinking that he's going to name his next book, Pigs on the Roof. And I said, no way, brother. This is mine. 
And uh, I was trying at that point figure out, uh, you know, what I was going to do with the rest of my life after having sold the company. And I figured that a, a, a company with the name Pigs on the Roof and a tagline that says where ideas fly would actually work pretty well. And you know what? It really did. So that's the story behind Pigs on the Roof. It really is. It's one of the great branding stories I've ever heard. So, uh, and, and it's a great transition to the way we like to close out Pod 2112 Carlos is with our five questions. And, you know, as our regular listeners know, the five questions are just offbeat, fun queries that are tailored to our guests in a way. And for you, Carlos, we have five questions about famous pigs. So are you ready? <laughs> Love it. <laughs> are you ready? Are you ready for, for your five questions? Ready. Excellent. So first question, the singing and acting pig had a lifelong crush on Kermit the Frog. Piggy. Yeah, Miss Piggy. Uh, number two, Napoleon is the name of this pig leader in what famous George Orwell book? Oh, man, Larry, I'm like a social barbarian. I don't read or watch TV, so I have no idea. Uh, you know, this is right up your alley with your backstory. Animal Farm. So, <laughs> I think I read the cliff notes sometime in high school. <laughs> uh, your third question. He is the best friend to Winnie the Pooh. Oh, man. The little, oh. Is it Eeyore? No, no it's Christopher Robbins. No. No, Christopher Robbins is the boy. Eeyore is the donkey. Piglet. And Piglet. There oh you go. Uh, your fourth question. This pig was befriended by a spider named Charlotte. Oh, man. I remember that as a kid. I know it's Charlotte's Web, but I don't remember the pig's name. Pig's name was Wilbur. Wilbur. I should know yeah. this. Jeez. You sure? yeah, what kind of a pig branding artist <laughs> are you? <laughs> 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 and your final and your final question. This animated stuttering pig is famous for saying the that's all, folks. Oh Larry, you're gonna kill me, Matt. <laughs> you should have prepped me for this. <laughs> Clueless. <laughs> that, that, it's Porky Pig and prepping you is against the spirit of the five oh, questions. Man. So. Porky Pig, that was for my time too. That one I should have known. You should have known that. Jeez. And uh and there you have it, everyone. You've been reminded that pork is the other white meat by listening to us talk about the evolution of the role of channel account managers here on Pod2112. We are a production of the 2112 Group, a technology, business strategy, and research firm. Join us again when we talk with industry thought leaders and influencers about the world changing around us. And for more information about 2112 services, visit our website or email us at info at the2112group.com. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter. 